We are in our series called Transformed. We're walking through the book of Acts, and we've made it to Acts 13, but we're not going to go to Acts 13. Acts 13 to 16, somewhere there, there's a lot of different things going on. There's a couple different themes. And so we're going to jump to Acts 15 and hit a theme that occurs there. And then next week, we're going to go back to chapter 13 and hit a topic that actually ties in with chapter 16 and actually for the rest of Paul's life, as we will see. And so we will hit that next week as we go into Easter week beyond that, and for the first time ever, we're having a Good Friday service, so I encourage you guys to be a part of that, and then we'll head into Easter weekend where we'll have four services, two on Saturday and two on Sunday morning, so it's going to be a power-packed week, and that is so exciting, but I want to start with just some statistics. How many of you guys want to hear some statistics? How many of you guys love statistics? And I know, listen, I know statistics can be manipulated, and you can do whatever you want to with them at times, and these statistics that I have may not be, uh, you know, exactly accurate. I don't know. I saw them in an article. I didn't vet them myself, so, but they, they kind of give us a picture of something that's probably true, and so uh, I think it's very interesting. But they, in this article, it says that there are 300,000 items in the average American home. Some of you guys are saying, wow, and some of you guys are like, yeah, yeah, I can I could see that. 25% of people with two-car garages don't have room to park cars inside of them. You know who you are. Some of you guys have three-car garages, and you still don't have room. This one I found... Um, Interesting, because it is family weekend, so those of you guys who are younger with us, the average 10-year-old has 238 toys, but only plays with 12 of them on a daily basis. <laughs> Parents, you, you realize this at Christmas time when you buy all this stuff, and then about five minutes later, they're done with the toy, and they're on to something else, right? We know this. So, And this one I really found interesting. Because they say at the time of this that there's 7.3 square feet of self-storage space for every man, woman, and child in the United States of America. 7.3 square feet. That means that it is physically possible for, that every American alive today could stand all at the same time under the total canopy of self-storage roofing. Yeah, wow, that's what I thought, yeah. So, all of it, and then this last statistic is just a freebie. Uh, it, it says that the average American, on top of all that, the average American only donates 1.9% of their income to charity. That's another message altogether, so we're not even going to go there. But the point of all of that is, at times, as a pastor, I have this happen. Maybe if you're serving somewhere in church, you have this happen. Maybe just as a follower of Jesus, you have this happen. But from time to time, and for me, many times, I'll have people come to me and ask for prayer. And they will be praying for a specific thing. Like, I need to have, like, I'm praying for this thing. I'm praying for this job, praying for this relationship, praying for this house, praying for this opportunity, uh, praying for this, whatever it is. And uh, as people are coming to me to ask for prayer, sometimes I have to admit that sometimes I have this thought run through my head that, as somebody's asking me this, like, I may be wrong, but it seems like possibly the very last thing you need right now is to get this thing that you so desperately want to have. 
I may be wrong about that, but it seems that way at times. And so I've struggled many times to pray for people, or maybe I should say to agree with people for what they're asking for. And even like I'm, I'm in contact with a lot of pastors and even some pastors that I'm, I'm around sometimes, you know, because I listen to what they're doing and listen to what they're wanting. And it seems like, like you know, that we always think that bigger is always better, Right. And because that's kind of the American way, we know that. But the question is, is bigger always better? And sometimes when I'm praying for another pastor or something like that, and I hear what they're doing, and I'm kind of like, you know, because I, I, I have to check myself all the time. Okay, this is why I know this, because I have to check myself all the time, that, that, that I'm asking, is bitter, bigger always better? How do I know if I should pray for somebody for what they want, and maybe you've asked this question, how do I know if I should pray for somebody for what they want if what they want is successful by worldly standards but not good by godly standards? Because you know sometimes there is a difference, right? There's a difference because what sometimes can look good by godly standards is not the same thing that looks good by worldly sin. So the question is, how do we know what we're supposed to have? How do we know what we're supposed to do? How do we know where we're supposed to go? How do we know the life that we're supposed to live? In other words, how do we make decisions in the kingdom of God? And so, as I said, we're in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13 is a turning point in the book of Acts because in Acts chapter one, it talked about what? It said the gospel is gonna to go to all, you know, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Galilee, and then to the ends of the earth. And we see that pattern. The first few chapters of Acts is in Jerusalem, then it spreads out, and then now Acts chapter 13 becomes the turning point where they send Paul and Barnabas out to the world, essentially. That's to the world. And so we see this transition. But in Acts chapter 15, some of you guys will remember in Acts chapter 10 a few weeks ago that something new happened with the Gentiles. Gentiles being non-Jews. They had never been in before following, you know, in the way of God, the way of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That, that had always been a Jewish thing, but now the non-Jews were let in in Acts chapter 10. But there was a problem with that. In Acts chapter 15, here's the problem, verse 6. It says, The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, so there, this was a lot of contention about what they should do, Peter stood up and he said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. What he's saying is, you guys remember in Acts chapter 10, although he didn't say in Acts chapter 10, you guys remember in Acts chapter 10, when, and I had this vision of the bacon coming down from the sky, and this guy came, and I went over there, and Cornelius, and all this stuff, and remember the Holy Spirit fell on them, and then they, we baptized them. You guys remember all that, right? Well, the problem they were having is, now that these non-Jewish people are following Jesus, should they have to live in the same manner as Jews who are following the Messiah? Because up until that, that point, it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the law of Moses, all of these things, and that they were waiting a Messiah. Well, Jesus came, and Jesus was the Messiah, is the Messiah, but many of the Jewish people missed that. But those who caught it were all the disciples we've read about. They understood. He's the Messiah. This is what we've been waiting for. This is all the prophecies and the Torah and the prophets and the, you know, all this stuff has been leading up to this moment. But up until that moment, it was a Jewish thing. And so because it was a Jewish thing, there was a certain way to do that. Well, now you have these non-Jews, and some people are saying, no, they not only have to start following Jesus, 
But they have to start following Jesus in the same way that we've been following Jesus. And this caused a big debate. Well, how do we make this decision? And so they brought it before the church, and we call him Pastor James in Acts chapter 15, this Jerusalem council, because he was more like the pastor of Jerusalem. And they had a big decision to make. And so what I want to do is I want to give you six thoughts. Normally, I'm a three-point guy. I'm going to give you six thoughts on how to make decisions and decision-making in the kingdom of God. And if you are making a big decision right now, these things are going to be helpful. They may not answer all of your questions, but I'm pretty sure they are part of the process. And so you may have already gone through all of these six, or you may have gone through one or two of them, but I'm telling you, they are part of the process. And maybe you need to make a decision in the future. I encourage you to write these things down because you will need them in the future, especially you young adults who are, you're at a crossroads in a lot of ways. These are things that you need to hear. But these are all, this was like a hard sermon to prepare and an easy sermon. It was hard because I had to really kind of decide what should I put in because there's so much to say. But it was an easy sermon in some ways because I find myself saying these things all the time to people. These are kind of like the greatest hits, okay? So these, these are things I say all the time to people, but I don't know if I've said them all together at once. And so I, I hope it's gonna be helpful, but I'm gonna just rapid fire since we got six to go here. The first thing may seem very obvious, but it is so important, and it is this. Six thoughts on decision-making in the kingdom of God, number one. The word of God is the will of God. The word of God is the will of God. So as we go into Acts 15 and they're trying to make this decision, James is hearing about this problem. What does he do in verse 13? It says, after he heard about it, after they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles. We've heard the story. And we heard and all that happened. And he said, and with this, the words of the prophet agreed, just as it is written. What does Pastor James do? He goes to the word of God. He said, let's try to figure out what the will of God is. So let's go to the word of God. And here's what the prophets have written. It says, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. And I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. He's saying, this written about, this is gonna happen. We're not in foreign territory here. He starts to go into scripture. And here's what we know about the scriptures. Many, many times in the Bible, you will find explicit, specific instructions for your particular situation. There are things that the Bible says, do this, and don't do that. And if you can find that in scripture where it says, do this, then do that. If you can find where it says, don't do this, then don't do that, right? I know that sounds very, very simple, right? But that is, that's true. You can find specific things in the Bible about what sin is and what sin is not and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. But then there are also areas that we don't know what to do because the Bible doesn't specifically tell us which person to marry or what house to buy or how much time should I spend on social media, right? How many of you guys have ever gone through these questions? It's like, well, how do I know? The Bible doesn't talk about these things. Well, in those cases, we can find principles in scripture and begin to apply them to our particular situation, even if the specifics aren't there. And so 
You may need help with some of that, but the will of God is found in the word of God, either through explicit instructions or principles to apply. Now, the reason why this is so important is because early on in the church, when, when I started to um, do counseling and marriage counseling with people, I found this issue that would happen. It's like people would come together and want me to do marriage counseling with them. And really what was happening is I would just turn into the referee. Okay, that's what would be going on. I'd be on the phone with people. Like literally, I can't tell you how many times I've been on the phone with somebody and somebody else is on the other end and they are having, the husband and wife are arguing and yelling at each other. I'm trying to referee it. And I'm like, what am I doing here? I'm not doing any good here, right? And so I can't tell you how many times we've had people in our house that we, especially in the early days, we'd, we'd sit down and they would just go back and forth, want us to be the referee as to how to solve the problem. And I found out very, like, first of all, I got tired of it. I was just like, I'm just tired of just dealing with people. Why can't you people with marriage issues come to me when it's small, not big, okay? <laughs> like, let's catch it small, right? No, no, no. We got to wait until it's all big, you know? And so, so I got tired of it. And finally, I realized one day, I was like, I figured out a, a little trick. And by the way, if you want to do this, if you're ever a biblical counselor, this might work for you. But I would sit down with people and I would say, all right, before we go any further, here's what I want to know. Do you want to do this the Bible way? Yes or no? If yes, great. Let's talk. If no, we have nothing more to do here. If no, just go do what you want to do. If no, just go do what you want to do anyway. But if yes, instead of me being the referee, let's let this be the referee. And then we'll decide what needs to happen. Here's what I found out. Sadly, a lot of people don't want to do it the Bible way. But here's what I want to tell you. If you're trying to make a big decision or it, really anything in life, if you don't get this part right, there's no point of going on to any of these other five that are coming next. Because if in your heart you really don't want to do it the Bible way, there's really no point of going, just go do what you want to do, right? And so I found very, very quickly that a lot of people don't want to do it the Bible way. But if you can set in your heart, like, okay, we may have different interpretations of what the Bible says. I may disagree with what, how you interpret that. That's fine. But let's at least settle in our hearts that I want to live and walk by these scriptures and not by my own will or way. Can somebody say amen to that? But when you've done all that you know, need, all that you know like, okay, I've read the Bible. I've tried to find my specific situation. I, I, I've tried to apply the principles, but I need help. Then you can go on to the next thing. And here's the next thought about decision-making in the kingdom of God. Number two, wise counsel is your friend, not your enemy. The scripture we just read earlier, it says James replied. Why did James reply? Because somebody brought something to James so they'd have something to reply to. James was not there on the ground, but James was wise counsel that they could bring it to. And Acts 15, verse 19, after he hears all of this, he shares the word and he says this, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. So they bring it to wise counsel. So many people think wise counsel is their enemy. 
And here's why I think we think wise counsel is our enemy. We're afraid to have a conversation because we're afraid that if we hold this out to someone else, this thing that we find so precious, that this thing that we have an idea of what we wanna do with, that if we hold it out to somebody else, that we'll lose something if we do. And the fact is, you might. But here's what I want you to, to hear. We're talking about wise counsel. We're talking about wise people that you bring this to, people who love Jesus, people who are seasoned in the faith, people who care about you and care about the work that God is doing in your life. Can they miss it? Sure. But we're not just talking about bringing it before anyone. We're talking about bringing it before people who are wise and seasoned in the faith. Wise counsel is your friend, not your enemy. So what I'm saying is this. When you need to make a big decision, don't just surround yourself with people who think just like you do. Don't surround yourself with people who are just going to affirm your decision. Don't surround yourself with people who are just going to become an echo chamber that reinforces everything you want to hear. You know, you can apply this to other areas of your life. You know, you, you need to have people around you who are thinking different and thinking maybe more kingdom thoughts at times where you can't see them. If you're depressed, for example, the last thing you need to do when you're depressed is to find a depressed person to hang out with. If you're sick, the last person you need to find is somebody who's sick all the time or a hypochondriac or somebody who just wants to take you to WebMD all the time and live on the internet trying to find every symptom or problem. You know, you, first of all, find a good doctor or better yet, find a great physician, right? Hang out with them. Find out people who are going to trend you to health, not spiral you down into despair. If you have a bad marriage, don't go find someone who is a jaded, divorced person to be your counselor. I know this sounds like common sense, but listen, I've been pastoring long enough that I know this is what people do. They say, well, they understand me. They're, they've been where I'm going. No, 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 no. You want to find somebody, now maybe somebody who's been through something, but somebody who made it to the other side, right? And so don't just surround yourself, because here's what I found out. And, and you don't have to be around people long enough to, very long to find this out. It seems like negative people seem to find each other. You don't have to coordinate a small group. They just end up in the same one somehow. They just find each other, but also positive people find each other. Encouraging people find each other because that's what they're looking for. And so here's what I want to encourage you with right now. And it may sound more like a challenge, but pay attention to who is drifting towards you and who is drifting away from you. And if you're concerned, like if you look up one day and you find that the people all around you are people who are always negative, always gossiping, always got a problem with something, all that type of stuff, and that has become your crew, let me just suggest that may be who you're attracting. And if you also find on the other side that it seems like positive people in your life are drifting away from you, can I just suggest maybe it's time for a checkup, right? Because maybe... I'm repelling positive and I'm attracting negative. Surround yourself with people. You have to fight for people who are kingdom thinkers to be in your world. 
You, you, it doesn't just happen. happen. You, you don't drift into that. You fight into that. You fight for that. Because sometimes the answer that comes from God will actually come from a wise man or woman of God who brings a perspective that you cannot see. And so the word of God is the will of God. Wise counsel is your friend and not your enemy. But once you've done all of those things, you sought the word of God, you sought wise counsel, this next thing is very, very key. And it is this. Silence is the volume knob in the kingdom. If you wanna hear clearly from God, you have to bring some sort of silence into your life. The Bible says to be still and know. So Acts 15, 12, it says, and all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul. So they, they quieted themselves, right? And this is so, so key because we are surrounded by so much. We create noise in our life. And I know we've got every excuse for why we can't do this, but I'm telling you, this is an ingredient for how we have direction in the kingdom of God. But as I like to do, I like to take you to places. There's a significant place in the, uh, for, it's several years ago that became very, very significant to me in this area. So let's watch. So years ago, we lived in the city and we would hear all kinds of stuff at night even. Like one time I, I woke up in the middle of the night and I heard somebody yelling at the top of their lungs, help, help, at the top of their lungs, just walking down the street. That was hard to get back to sleep after that. We would hear sirens. We'd hear all kinds of stuff just all the time. And honestly, we just got used to the noise. I mean, it, it was just like, I mean, we just kind of got used to it. This is what we heard and just blended in. And then when we moved out here, we started hearing like totally different things. We got to answer the question, what does the fox say? Because we heard foxes at night. Just um, that was an interesting thing. The first time you hear one of those. And, but they were just different sounds. And so one of the things that I did when we first moved out here, because we've got some trees back here, a little, little creek back here, that I would come back here and I would just uh, walk back in these woods and just sit and listen. And so I'm jumping down now. Ooh. That could have gone poorly. Um, but I would come back here and I haven't been back here for a while. I would find, I found this particular place, this particular rock that I would just sit on and I would just like literally sit here for hours. And ah, here it is right here. I haven't been out here for a while, but there it is. And it's kind of overgrown a little bit, but I would come back here, see if I can get back in here. There we go. And I would just sit right here in this spot and I would just listen. I'd hear birds and all sorts of noises, but I would just sit here and listen. And I began to hear from God in different ways because it's just different sounds, you know? And the truth is that we're always like trying to fill our life with all kinds of noise. And if you're struggling to hear from God, if you're, if you're anxious, if, and some of you guys are gonna get ready to, like you wish you had a remote right now and you could just shut me off because you've heard me say it so many times. But listen, if you're anxious, if you're hurried, if you are not, or if you're struggling hearing from God, if you are uh, feeling anxiety, can I just suggest that it's possible that we're surrounded with so much noise and we're going at such a fast pace. We have to slow down 
to catch up to Jesus. You know, they say that the average human walks around about five or about three miles per hour. And, you know, when Jesus was on the planet, he didn't travel in planes or cars or move at the same speed that we do. He walked just this consistent pace of three miles per hour. And he did that in the natural, but I also believe that's kind of the pace of the spirit, that there's just this be still and know that I am God. And, and here's where I'm going to just get in people's business. And again, I w- you probably wish you had a remote, but listen, if you're busy every single night of the week and you struggle, you wonder, why do I feel like I can't hear from God? If you are such a, at a fast pace, you know, it, it, rather than sitting in the peace of God and listening for God's voice, we're running with earbuds in our ears or living with noise all around. We have to slow down to catch up with Jesus. And when you slow down at a different pace and a different place, then you can hear God in a different way. And so silence is the volume knob. If you wanna hear from God, you put yourself in a position of slowing down to catch up with Jesus, a different place, a different pace, And I believe that it's in those things that you can begin to hear God's voice, that anxiety leaves, that peace comes, and you can begin to hear the whisper of God as if it were a shout. Amen. Pastor Sean, that's good stuff. Come on, somebody. Man. Man. I could just listen to that guy all day long. I hear him all day long in my mind. So... They slowed down to catch up with Jesus. Little uh, behind the scenes blooper reel on that video. As soon as I sat down on that rock, I put my hand right in animal dung. But I just kept going. You didn't even notice it. I'm a professional man. I just kept going. So it was awesome. Acts 15, 28, after they make this decision, they go on. It says, it says, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It's kind of a unique scripture. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. How did they know that? They got still. They could hear the whisper of God as if it were a shout because they got still and their pace had changed. If you want to hear from God to make a big decision or really just walk with God in a healthy way, I don't know how else to say this, but you're going to have to change your pace. That was important. Not very popular. So we'll move to number four. Labels are limiters. If you want to figure out what God wants you to do in life, make a big decision, there are times when we limit the possibilities, not because God's possibilities are limited, but because we put a label on something or a label on our life or a label on, we put boundaries to a decision that God never put boundaries on. 
and labels become a limiter. That's what was happening in the book of Acts. They were putting a label on the Gentiles that was becoming a limiter. Acts chapter 15, 28, again, it says, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. They're talking to them. They're saying, hey, we, we got with the Holy Spirit. We, we got with the council. And here's what we came out of it to lay no greater burden than these requirements. Like you don't need to do all the same stuff that we're doing, but here's what we came up with, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Uh, if you keep yourself from these, you will do well. There's a whole teaching on that. Why was it those things? We don't have time to get into that. But basically what was going on is they realized, they came to the conclusion that they couldn't put everyone in the same box. And the label had become a limiter to what God wanted to do because if we mislabel something, we will misuse it. If you ever, you know, grabbed like the, the salt and thought it was sugar or something like that, you will use, you, misuse it. It will not be good results, Right? But that happens in other areas. And so I want to share with you something I found myself sharing with other people. I shared it with our young adults the other night. I've shared it with some other people. And so I, I come to the conclusion that I'm supposed to share it with you as well. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, we see something. We, these are called the gifts of Jesus to the church. These aren't the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the church like we looked at earlier in the year. But these are the gifts of Jesus. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, these are leadership gifts in a sense, but they also are probably, you can probably find yourself in here too, that you might have a leaning towards one more than the others. And so I wanna give you a quick definition of these uh, that may not, it's not conclusive, but I'll just give you an idea of what some people might say a definition. The apostles, their task is really, to bring heaven to earth. They are really kind of the people who, it's thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so they go into places and they replicate, they try to replicate the culture of the kingdom in an area. It could be a church planner, it could be a missionary, it could be, you know, a, a family, it could be a, 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 you know, parents, or it could be a business person re replicating the kingdom of God and that culture in an area. That's kind of the gift of the apostolic is to do that. And so then we have like the prophets. The prophets are people who are called to call people up into their calling. The word of exhortation, of comfort, all of those things are the gift of the prophetic to hear from God, to see what God sees in somebody or a situation and to call people and to call situations higher. The, the pastoral, these are people who are nurturing and shepherding and gathering and sensitive to the needs of people. That's why we call it pastoral care, because these are people who can just, they can just sense what God wants to do in people's life, and they also are sensitive to what God needs to do in their life, and so they're good gatherers and community builders. Uh, the, the teachers are people who can make something that is very complicated, they can make it very simple. And the, the evangelists are people who have such a love for lost people, for people who don't know Jesus. And so some of you guys can locate yourself in there. You're like, I, I find myself just really caring about lost people, people who don't know Jesus all the time. Or you might find yourself, I, I really want to see God's kingdom demonstrated in this area. You might find yourself just being able to see what God is doing in people or being sensitive, whatever it is. Even though these are great things, there's also a counter or a downside to each one of these. And there's a temptation to misuse each one of these if you have a gifting in this area. So let me just tell you just real briefly some of the, 
misuse of these things. The apostolic are supposed to be thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Their weakness, if they don't watch it, is not thy will be done, it's my will be done. And they begin to replicate what's in their heart towards a certain area or towards certain people, or especially in a church. This is why, you know, many times pastors are like, we have these situations that become unhealthy environments because it's not thy will be done for this church, it's my will be done. And that's a weakness that can easily be a temptation. The prophetic, if you lean towards the prophetic, you know, you are to call people up into things, into the things of God, but here's the temptation for weakness is the prophetic begins to call people out begins to call out the culture, begins to call out people and their sin, and begins to call out all these things with a heart of just calling people out instead of calling people up. The pastoral, they are so sensitive to the needs of other people. What can happen is the weakness for the pastoral gifted people is that you can become so sensitive to the needs of other people that you can become so easily defended because you're also sensitive. You can become offended, but you can also become addicted to, the need, to being needed by other people to the point of being burnt out by being used by people. Some of you guys are like, you automatically know where you've experienced this. The, uh, the evangelistic are people who love the lost so much, like they are so much about the lost that their temptation, their weakness is they, can, they love the lost so much they start to get angry with the people of God who don't love the lost as much as they do. And they get so frustrated and bitter towards the people of God who, why don't you just get it? Get out there and do, what are you doing sitting in there? Like all this type of stuff. The teacher, they, they make things complicated, simple, but their temptation for weakness is to, they start to think that the teaching and their, their expertise, it's all about them, and they begin to gravitate towards their own ego, thinking how smart that they are because they can make it you know, very simple, something very complicated that's something they only understand. What I'm saying is that all of these things are great things, but if you misuse them, they can become limiters. If you mislabel their purpose. And, and even me, like for many years, you know, I, I'm, you guys, many of you guys would call me Pastor Sean. And so many years, especially in the early years, I would think, okay, pastor is a kind of a nurturing and shepherding and community building. And I'd kind of look at my life and I would look at other people and other pastors and I'm like, man, there are so much better pastors than I am. Like, I just don't seem to naturally do that. Like, I want to do that, but I just am not good at it. And here I am the pastor, right? And then I would look at people in our church and I'm like, these people, like according to the biblical definition, are way more pastoral than I am and yet I'm the pastor, right? So why is that? And so there were many, many times, just being real with you, that I was tempted to quit because I thought, and I said this even out louder to myself, I'm just not cut out for this. I'm just not that. I'm not a pastor. And then one day, as I was praying about that, God began to show me that whenever they went around to the different churches, they would appoint elders in the church. And as I began to look at some of the different leaders in the church or leaders in the body of Christ, even in scripture, I started to notice that some of them were more apostolic. They were elders, but they were apostolic elders. Some of them were more teachers. 
Some of them were more evangelistic type elders. Some of them were more uh, pastoral or shepherding in that way type elders. Some of them were, and I started to realize, oh, I see what's to happen here. That God wants to bring together a group of leaders and he may appoint a singular leader over that group But within that group, it's not supposed to be one person that has all the stuff that needs to happen. It's supposed to be a group of people who there might be some that's more evangelistic and some that's more apostolic and some that's more prophetic, but together God puts them together and they have what they need to bless the body and to grow up the body in all things. And so I started to realize maybe I'm not a pastor in the sense of that word. We've just somehow in the West decided to call what I do pastor. But maybe I'm more apostolic. Maybe I'm elder, but I'm more an apostolic or I'm more a prophetic or I'm more whatever it is. And what I'm, t- I'm telling you all of that to say, what if you took the limiters off just a little bit? And when you're looking at what God would have you to do, instead of keeping it in this certain, what, what if people have just labeled what you think you, what you're supposed to do, and they've labeled that, and because they've labeled that, you've now limited to that. And let me just be prophetic for just a moment for, for some of you. Can I just say it this way? The box, you weren't made for a box. Stop trying to put in a box what God never created to be put in a box. And if we could just, as we're prayerfully trying to decide and hear from the voice of God, what are you saying in this situation? Maybe we need to, Take the box off, take the limits off, take the labels off just a little bit, and we'll be able to see something we couldn't see otherwise. All right, number five, last two points. I'm gonna move fairly quickly with these. I've said this one to so many people, and so you, many of you have already heard this, maybe in personal coffee appointments or whatever, but this is so true. God guides as we move. So many times we're waiting for God to tell us what to do, specifically what to do. And that is just not the way it seems to work. God guides as we move. And we see this if we go to Acts chapter 16. They're beginning to walk this out, beginning to try to figure out where they're supposed to go next. Watch what happens in Acts 16 verse 6. It says, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Why? Because they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And then they, when they come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but then the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. What's going on? These guys are like, well, we tried to go this way, and as we started to go this way, it was like, no, that's not it. So we started to move in this direction, we started, and as we were going, we started to go on our way, and then we heard Jesus say, nope, that's not it. And so then we started to go this way, and nope, that's, so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And there a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. These are apostles. These are guys who've been with Jesus. These are guys who were in the upper room in Acts. These are people who are seasoned in the faith. How is it that they couldn't just hear from God at the very beginning to say, go to Macedonia? Instead, they had to start going to Bithynia and Mysia, and they're going to, oh, not over here, it's not over here. And eventually, they end up over in Macedonia. Why is that? I believe it's because God guides as we move. And God wants to have a real-time relationship with us so that he doesn't always lay out every single in-game instruction for you, 
But he wants you to start walking. And as you start walking, he may tell you to go this way or tell you to go that way. I heard a long time ago, somebody once said, and maybe you've heard this before, God guides more by red lights than he does by green lights. So what happens is God wants us to start moving and then he will give us a red light and say, nope, it's not there. Sometimes God will give you a yellow light, like a caution light. Like I want you to keep moving, but proceed with caution. Keep your eyes and ears open because there's something I want you to see along the way. And sometimes God will guide more by red lights than by green lights. And here's what tends to happen for a lot of people. This is what we see in Scripture also, and I don't have time to get into all of this, but we see this pattern in Scripture where God will give somebody a place to go, a direction. And maybe right now God has given you a thing to do, a direction to go, something to pursue, whatever that is. And here's the tendency, and here's, here's what a lot of people end up doing. They think, okay, I heard where I'm supposed to go. And when they get to that point or right to the edge of it, it feels uncertain. And so then people think, did I hear from God or not hear from God? Have you been there? It's like, well, what? I, I thought, I mean, I, God said to go here. I came here. Now it doesn't feel right. What's, what, what's going on? And we hold on so tightly to the first thing God said as if it was the only thing God was going to say. But God didn't want to say that as an end game. God wanted to say that to get us to move to this point where we could hear and see what the next thing is. And I've said this a million times as well, that God leads us to a thing that leads us to a thing. But if you hold on so tightly to the first thing, you will never go to the next thing. But many times, God doesn't give you the three or four things down the road. God gives you the one thing down the road in order to get you to a place where you could see the next thing. How many hikers do we have in the building? Any of you guys hikers love hiking? I do, I love. I've got that classic syndrome where I, if I see something, like I, we get to our trailhead and then we go and we hike and we get to the end of it, I'm always like, what's over that one over there? Like, what, what's so, I just, I have to see. I, I can't not, I've gone this far. I can't, you know, my kids get so frustrated with me and they're like, they're gonna go back and like sit in the truck or something as we're going to the next places. It's like, I have to know what's over there. Like, I could be just seeing, I could be like, you know, three miles away from the next great viewpoint, you know? I'm, I might be three miles away. But here's what I've discovered, that as I'm sitting there at the trailhead and I see the sign and I'm looking into the trail I can't see what's over the other side. But when I get up to that viewpoint and now I'm over, I've gone on the trail and now here I am at the overlook, all of a sudden I can see that new mountain, that valley, I can see that lake over there. I've got all these possibilities to be able to see that I never had at the trailhead. And sometimes God wants to simply move us from the trailhead to the overlook point and so many of us think the overlook is the destination. The overlook is not the destination. The overlook is a place for you to see new options. So don't hang on to the first thing as if it's the only thing because God guides as we move. And if we hold on to the first thing as if it's the last thing, then we may be frustrated, we may question God because we get there and we think, this doesn't look right. No, it was never supposed to look right because it wasn't the end. 
It's part of the process. All right, the last thing is this, as the worship team comes back up. God can redeem any mistake you make in pursuit of his will. And somebody needs to hear that today. Because you're thinking, man, I don't want to step out. Now listen, at some point, you just start stepping. At some point, after you've sought the will of God, sought the word of God, you've sought wise counsel, you've, you've been silent to try to hear the whisper of God, you've taken off the limits, you know, you've, you've taken off the labels and expanded the limits, and you, you just start to move. Listen, if you make a mistake after you've done all that, here's what I want you to know. God can redeem any mistake you make in pursuit of his will. He can even make up lost time. He can, make up, he can make up lost money. He can do any of those things because redemption is in the DNA of Jesus. I would even say it this way. Redemption is literally in his blood. If you, literally, if you cut Jesus, he bleeds redemption. God guides as we move. This is not a license for bad decisions. This is simply an invitation to receive grace. That's what this is. And some of you need to receive some grace right now. Maybe you find yourself in a place right now, you're like, well, I thought I heard from God. I tried to do the best I could. Maybe I missed it along the way. Maybe I skipped a step. If you did, there's good news for you. Redemption, grace. And you can start today, fresh and new. That's what, this, that's what the gospel is. It's like this constant reset button. It's not, an, it's not a license to sin. It's not a license to mess up. But if you find yourself in sin or you find yourself messed up, it is definitely there for you. And so would you stand up with me as we wrap up this time? You might even need to say, just say, I receive grace right now. I receive your grace. Lord, we know that you're a loving Father. You don't lead us into bad things. You want to walk with us. And I pray for anyone right here, right now, that is struggling with making a decision or maybe a decision that they've made. Would you bring revelation by your Spirit right now? Clarity. Surround them with people, the people of God, wise people. Lord, would you give them the courage to go against our culture and find the quiet places in you? To slow down our pace to catch up with you? Lord, would you help us have eyes to see what we cannot see in the natural and take ourselves out of the box? And would you give us boldness to take the first steps and to continue to walk and to not grow weary in doing good? And Jesus, right now, we just say by faith that we receive your grace. Grace is not just there to bring us salvation. Grace is there to empower us every day to walk in the way you've called us to walk. Lord, we pray for your empowering grace, your redeeming grace. We thank you so much for the cross, that it was on the cross that you died for us. You nailed our sin. You nailed our shame. You nailed our failure. You nailed our past. You nailed everything 
that needed to be nailed there. And you conquered it, you defeated it. And Lord, we can walk in your grace today. Lord, may your healing grace come. Let the peace of God come and guard hearts and minds in Christ Jesus right now. Come on, can we just take a deep breath in the spirit of God right now and just realize that there's a, there's a different way that you can walk in the kingdom. There's a way of peace and joy, life everlasting. You know, the Bible says to let the peace of God rule in your heart. And a lot of times we think that that means, okay, I'm not gonna make a decision until I have peace and there's some truth in that. But I think we need to also put an emphasis on the word let. We have to let the peace of God rule in our heart. So God, we invite your peace and we decide to let that peace be the ruler of our heart, not our emotions, not our distractions. So we invite that right now in Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.